This is London. But London's 70 years from what you think of as the present. It's like being there, in your body. You're inside peripheral. Piloting that body as if it were your own. <laughs> Holy shit. That's Chloe Grace Moritz freaking out over what appears to be a virtual reality headset in The Peripheral, a new streaming series on Amazon Prime Video that's based on a novel by science fiction master William Gibson. Gibson's the guy who basically came up with the concept of cyberspace, and this adaptation of his 2014 novel provides further evidence of the Vancouver author's prescience when it comes to tech trends. Get ready for an audio tour of Gibson's worldview guided by the co-creator of Prime Video's version of The Peripheral. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the intersection of science and fiction. Join me as I chat with Scott B. Smith, the writer and executive producer who helped bring the world of the peripheral to life, a world that's eerily similar to our own high-tech, pre-apocalyptic surroundings. Science fiction author William Gibson is best known for popularizing the concept of cyberspace, the idea that the use of electronic devices, ranging from phones to computers, puts us into a shared space that's as real in its way as physical space. He's also known for saying that the future is already here, it's just not very evenly distributed. In the peripheral, he delves into real-world trends in robotics, telepresence, and yes, the metaverse, but then he adds a time-travel twist. Turning the Gibsonian universe into a streaming series has been a big challenge for Scott Smith, who's been a novelist and screenwriter for decades, but has never been involved in a futuristic science fiction project before. Fortunately, he's been helped out by two of his fellow executive producers for The Peripheral, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, who are also the co-creators of HBO's Westworld series. The connection points between The Peripheral and Westworld run so deep that Smith says the writing team had to stop themselves from imitating Westworld. In our Zoom conversation, Smith talked about the process of creating The Peripheral, And we also discussed the parallels between Gibson's view of the future and our view of the present. I started out by asking Smith how he got involved in the project. Kilter Films, uh, Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan's company sent me the book. They actually, as they sent me the book, they they suggested that I first read the Wikipedia entry uh, because I think they feared my ability to to drop into it. (laughs) But I have a friend who describes Gibson's uh, writing technique is uh, hold your own fucking hand, which is part of what I love about his world, where he introduces concepts and uh, specific objects with their terms, and he doesn't stop to, you know, expositorily define them. He just he lets you enter it and see how they're used in the world and uh, respects your ability to figure out what's going on based on how the, the characters are interacting with the tech. Was that a benefit or a challenge for you as you were adapting the book? For me, as a, as a reader, I, I really um, was drawn to it because it, it, it does actively engage you in, in creating the world that he's describing. Um, and, I, and it was really important to me as we 
you know, adapted it into the TV show to try to respect that narrative technique and to try to employ it and not not overdefine things to allow the viewer to just see how things are being used and how people are using terms and and come to their own conclusions. Is there a reason why Kilter Films turned to you? You have such an interesting background as a writer who's adapted his own novels into screenplays, including the screenplay for A Simple Plan, which won multiple Oscar nominations, including a nomination for your own screenplay. Uh, Why did they turn to you? Is there something in that background that particularly appealed to them? I had developed a pilot at a different company, Bad Robot, uh, where Athena Wickham, who runs Lisa and Jonah's company, was working at the time. And I think we made a connection then. I think they were aware that you know, my, my sci-fi background is non-existent. This is my first sci-fi project, which they were aware of. And I, but I think that from the very beginning, what we we all felt was that it's about the characters and it's about if we can bring the characters to life, that will, will make the sci-fi element accessible and worthy of engagement. So I think that there were, it was more about that than about, you know, my sci-fi credentials because I have none. Yeah. Do you have an elevator pitch that you give for the movie? If you're talking with your grandma, <laughs> for example, about uh, what is this project about? <laughs> what, how it's, do you describe it? Given that it's William Gibson, it's really difficult. I think, again, it comes down to the character of Flynn, the main character and, and, and using her as a proxy for entering this world. And it's the idea that she earns extra income playing these, these video games, which they call Sims. And she's given a new headset. It's a a step up in terms of the tech. And when she plays it, thinking that it's just another Sim, it, it turns out to be much more complex. And while she's in the headset, she uh, witnesses takes part in a a crime that ends up putting her family uh, and friends at risk. Mm-hmm. That was a long elevator ride. But. <laughs> no, not not that long, really. Uh, <laughs> you've said that the peripheral picks up on a lot of the dystopic themes in contemporary society, ranging from the surveillance state to the decline of rural America, the rapaciousness of kleptocrats and unrest in the United States. Uh, A lot of that comes straight from Gibson's writing, but are there aspects that you're giving more emphasis due to what's going on today? Uh, It was, you know, we, we initiated our writer's room three weeks before the pandemic hit and and the country shut down. As we were developing the project, the, the the story, there's something called the jackpot in the story, which is involves a kind of multi-vector apocalypse, and we were, felt like we were watching that happening in real time. So there's a, there was a constant dance between how much we lean into that and engage with that, or or just kind of let that be the sort of background hum to the story which I think we kind of were drawn toward the latter option. Did you work with William Gibson uh, on this and kind of discuss how you adapt all this to what's going on today and and what choices you make, or were you pretty much on your own when it comes to making we, your choices? We uh, engaged with him early on. We, we, we Zoomed. We had, we had a lot of uh, macro questions about, especially about the, the future, future world. And then we we went off and, and we we wrote um, and 
the director or one of our directors, Vincenzo Natale, was is close friends with Bill. And he's the one who brought the book actually to Kilter. And I think in a way he was kind of, at least in my mind, he's sort of the guardian of the Gibsonian altar and kept us on on track in terms of of honoring and respecting Gibson's, you know, amazing um, vision. I know that a lot of Gibson's fans have not been happy with some of the adaptations in the past, but uh, I did see a tweet from William where he says, he pretty much says that he's pleased with how it turned out. That must be gratifying to hear that uh, you're getting a positive response from the the. Yeah. the top guy Correct, gratifying like and, and uh you know like heart-stoppingly relieving you know he's been very gen- he's been incredibly generous and and supportive and um you know and when we do have questions his engagement is you know he writes these emails that are there's a moment in uh the story where flynn's best friend calls her by her full name including her middle name and i just i emailed uh, William Gibson about what's what would you you know what would you suggest for a middle name for Flynn, and he he wrote back this email with this list of possible names and then analyzing each one why they would make sense for Flynn. So it's it's that kind of you know generosity and engagement. Wow, I would love to see that if uh, if they ever decide to publish the making of the peripheral, uh, I would love to see something that has all that backstory. And I know a lot of yeah. uh, science fiction geeks would love that too. And, and Harleen was the name that we we landed on, Flynn Harleen Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Harleen, uh, I can hardly <laughs> wait for that to turn up on the list of most used baby names. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Gibson was pretty prescient about the advance of technology, starting with cyberspace in Neuromancer and brain implants in Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, When it comes to the peripheral, we don't have time shifting yet, but we do have virtual reality, advanced robotics, and autonomous cars. Can you talk about how you and the production designers portray the technologies that currently exist, as well as the technologies that for now are still pure science fiction? Uh, it, it was a, it was an ongoing discussion. You know, it. Um, I really hadn't been involved much with any. I, I would just hand in script. I did indie films. I would hand in the script, and they would say bye. Um, and I kind of tried to do that with this, and and was like, no, 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 no. You have to keep coming. And so all the production stuff, the the filming, all the post production stuff was was really new to me, and I was used to just. You know, you just write out a line. Um, the the car is invisible, and you don't have to worry about how that's portrayed. So for me, it was all it was very eye opening to have the discussions before filming about what is practical to do, what's uh, uh, financially realistic, um, and then post production watching the the Jay Worth art special effects guru, the amazing work that he did was in and fascinating the process because he's very much um he wants to know how something works even if it's even if it's something futuristic that doesn't exist yet he wants to have that that logic the physical logic behind it um as part of his building the special effect I'd love to dig into that process a little more if you don't mind is there sure. a particular example you have in mind something you want to call out and maybe the story behind that technology 
Um, sure. The um, I mean, the air, the air scrubbers are something that, you know, are very visible in, in our, our adaptation. You see it in the trailer, these giant classical sculptures that are along the skyline um, that are pulling carbon from the air, which again is a, is a technology that is sort of in a nascent stage right now. But Jay and, and Jonah and Lisa, they were, a lot of it was like, okay, well, what what how does it work like what is happening to the carbon and they came up with this idea that the carbon's being pulled from the air and that actually the statues are 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 carbon they're 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 the solidified carbon that's being pulled from the air and being constructed into these beautiful classical sculptures and you'll notice that the scrubbers that are, are closer to the city center which in our minds are the ones that were built first they're more developed and the, the, the statues are more complete because more carbon has been pulled. The ones farther out and distant are still partially being constructed. You know, the easy way would be just like, just throw something down, but it's like thinking like, well, what is the actual process and what what are the mechanics behind it? And on the other side of that, is there some particular technology from the peripheral that you wish that you could explore more fully but just because of the constraints of time and money you weren't able to do it and here's your chance to go beyond the script and and um, uh, let your imagination there were there are a lot of things in the book that are that are almost um they're fun kind of throwaway things there there's a like like self animating legos like a like a something that crawls up the, t- the leg of a table and it would be so that would be great that would be so fun but it's a it'd be so much money to do that for something that's just happening in the background. And so we, th- that sort of thing we, we, we realized we couldn't do, even though, uh, you know, we would have loved to have done it. You mentioned that you kind of had to expand your skill set for this project. Uh, can you expand upon that a little bit more? Did you really have to relearn some of the things that you uh, learned as a screenwriter or did all this kind of come as second nature because you've been in the business for so long? Uh, no, I, I'm still learning. Um, a lot of it's um, the different kind of story metabolism of a TV show versus film in the, in the sense that the, the film work I've done, the fiction I've done is very plot driven and very suspense related. And it's, it's, you know, a driving forward quality and having to learn that TV is, is, is slower, that's an ongoing huge thing. And in terms of the sci-fi of it all, I, just a, a recognition and a, like a humbling quality of knowing that it's not my expertise and that, that I you know, kind of defer to whether it's Gibson or Lisa and Jonah that kind of more experienced and, and wiser minds and just focused on telling the character stories. My, a lot of my pitches, my sci-fi pitches would immediately get shot down because it's like, oh, that's like this book or this movie that I wasn't aware of. So, Yeah, I suppose that really is what it comes down to is the people that uh, the science in a science fiction story are basically devices to help tell a different sort of story about the people that exist today, basically. 
are there some things that you want the viewer to absorb, uh, maybe in the background, or uh, does that take some of the fun out of it to try to tell people what to look for? I mean, you know, one of one of again, this is character based, but related to tech in the sense. One of the things that we talked a lot about is is empathy um, and how empathy can be um, enabled through tech or or inhibited. And you know, Flynn is putting on this headset and she's crossing worlds. And how do how do people remain real to each other? You know, when they where there is this divide. I mean, even you and I were, were zooming as opposed to sitting across from each other. And how does that affect our our interaction? Which I think can go either way. You know, I think that you know there's a way in which the technology can be disinhibiting um, in a way, but it can also, like a drone feed or something, it can it can be a way to dehumanize someone. Yeah. Wow. That is powerful stuff. I hope that people pick that up from the peripheral. Are there any plot twists or Easter eggs from Gibson's other work that you are working into this show? I know that there's a sort of a sequel or a prequel called Agency that that ties into the world of the peripheral, for example. Yeah, we haven't really entered the agency world. The agency actually uh, takes place in a kind of different, an entirely different world with the, the original book being a somewhat of a shadow to it. I think, you know, I hope that there's a Gibsonian, you know, feel to the to the peripheral universe that we've created, because it, it that, that that would be really important to me. Um, in a sense, they, there is a feel to Bill's books. You know, he has a he he has a very specific worldview, and that would be crucial, I think, to the success of the series. Is the fact that this is on uh, an Amazon Studios project, does that make a difference in terms of how you tell a story like this? Uh, uh, for example, they have the Rings of Power and the Wheel of Time. Uh, HBO uh, has Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon and Westworld, of course, which is very much linked into the production for the peripheral. How does that all come together? Uh, I know that for example, with Amazon, they're putting a lot of emphasis on fantasy as opposed to science fiction. And sometimes uh, some people have said maybe science fiction is not getting its due. That's all news to me. Um, I feel, <laughs> I, you know, my, my Amazon's been very supportive and very um, enthusiastic. But my, my interaction is mostly with kilter films. And so there's a degree to which I'm, I'm buffered from, from the studio side of it, which is a good thing, I think. We, we, you know, we had a lot of jokes about, about Alexa in the writer's room and, you know, <laughs> sliding <laughs> in an Alexa now and then. We never, we never did it. Is there a voice assistant in this production of The Peripheral? You could have some... No, there, there is a, um, you know, which we put in before Amazon acquired the, the Roomba, but there, there is a... Roomba-like device in, in the pilot. So <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. This show has that link to Westworld not only in its 
production heritage, but also in some of the things that show up in terms of the robotics, the androids. There was a little bit of a Westworldian feel to some of that. Uh, were you conscious of that, or do you feel as if you don't see that? I, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, very much. So. I mean, um, honestly, as we were generating story points uh, in the writer's room, there were times where we would suddenly have to be like, wait, no, 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 we can't do that. That's that's Westworld season two. Um, there's, there's just a certain pull, given the, the subject matter, to uh, solving certain narrative problems in ways that they had already, they'd already done it. Um, and so it was more a sense of uh, having a map of things that, we're, that we were reluctant to go toward because we didn't want to just, you know, repurpose what they'd already done so brilliantly. Do you already have the story arc worked out and uh, how long this series is going to extend? Uh, we have, we're working on a theoretical still uh, season two, but no, we don't, it's not like, uh, you know, we have a master plan for five seasons or something like that. Is there anything that you want to call out in terms of what you're reading or watching personally? Do you tend to look at science fiction stuff when you're working on a science fiction project, or do you want to just get away from it all and look at something else completely different? I think like, like the Watchmen and leftovers Damon, like I such a fan of his and, and the ability to tell these stories that are, that are fueled by genre, but have these quirky, odd, characters and give those the space to those characters that's definitely been an influence on me as i as as i wrote the peripheral do you feel like the peripheral is a cautionary tale do you hope that 10 years from now people are going to look at this and say oh man <laughs> good thing they called this out because we were able to avoid that particular nightmare I don't, you know, I, I think that for as much as there is a dystopian quality to, to some of the story there's also a warmth and a, a hopefulness, I think, largely, again, through the character of Flynn um, and her brother, Burton, Chloe and Jack, the, the actors, created the sense of their, their their siblinghood that I think is so engaging and really kind of undercuts the feel of dystopia. If There's a, there's a warmth and that I think draws you in. So I don't, I don't see it as a cautionary tale so much as a um i think the, the humanity carries forward throughout no matter what else is going on so well i feel like we've had a lot of warmth in this conversation i really enjoyed it and uh no, I thank, thank you i appreciate you. it i appreciate your questions congratulations to you and uh i hope peripheral does well and uh, look forward to more thank you so much Thanks to Scott B. Smith and Amazon Studios for setting up the interview. The Peripheral premieres on October 21st, with fresh episodes rolling out every Friday through December 9th. For more about The Peripheral, and about William Gibson, who lives just up the road from me in Vancouver, B.C., check out my blog item on CosmicLog.com. Thanks to James Emley for his rendition of the Fiction Science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever your favorite podcast channel happens to be. 
And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.